Breakthrough News. Three workers are fired in retaliation for striking at a billionaire-owned gas company in Brooklyn. And unionized retail workers at Macy's department stores win a big victory in protecting their pay against losses from self-checkout technology. Every day, workers across the globe are rising up to defend their humanity and fight for their dignity on the job. In a time of both record poverty and record profiteering, the billionaire bosses have created the very circumstances for workers to lose their fear and demand everything that they deserve. As the class struggle advances, the stories of workers are front and center here. This is On the Picket Line, and I'm your host, Monica Cruz. You just heard truckers honking in support of striking workers at United Metro Energy in Brooklyn, New York. Service workers at the gas company have been on strike for over two weeks, demanding better pay and benefits. The workers are members of the Teamsters Local 553 and work to keep New York City running, literally, by providing gas, heating, oil, and fuel across the five boroughs to the MTA, public schools, hospitals, and gas stations. United Metro Energy is owned by John Katsimatidis, a billionaire and the CEO of Red Apple Group, a conglomerate of energy, real estate, supermarkets, and media companies. The workers have been out picketing at the front door of the company 24 hours a day since April 19th. They got a schedule going and they've been rotating shifts every few hours. I joined the workers on the picket line in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, on a rainy afternoon earlier this week. And I spoke with Andre Solon. He is the leader in the union and one of the three United Metro workers who were fired after the strike began. Here he is describing the mood on the 17th consecutive day of the strike. We're hopeful here. The mood is pretty high, although we have an overcast sky, but the outlook is right. We're hoping that something could happen today where we are in negotiations and we're hoping that something positive could come out of it. Now they're actually meeting right now where the the meeting just ended for negotiations, correct? It's currently going on. It's not Mm. ended as yet. Mm. So they took a a break from it and we'll be concluding it sometime today. Not sure what the, the final product will be, but we're talking, so we're hopeful. Andre summed up their three major demands. We, we need industry standard wages, which is way better than what we're getting now. A proper medical benefit plan. Uh, the one that we have now is not readily accepted by healthcare providers. And we need a grievance process because there is no uh, due process if somebody is being disciplined or dismissed. Again, that was Andre Soyland, who has worked at the fuel terminal for five years. 
I also spoke with him on the phone and I asked him about his reaction to the letter from the company telling him he had been permanently replaced, which, by the way, he received on the very first day of the strike. In, initially, it felt uh, like a kick in the gut, you know, because now you're here fighting for better conditions, which I think would benefit us and the company in the long run. But you're fighting for that and then you feel that. And I know I have a family to support. So that felt really awkward to me. But then I thought about it some more. And with a little encouragement, you know, I made the adjustment. It, you know, I have to stick with it, of course. With the negotiation with the union, hopefully that would be the end result that our jobs would be preserved or restored if they fire anybody else along with myself. Because I was the first, but then we had two others after me. Yep, you heard that right. Three out of only about two dozen workers on strike have been fired for striking at United Metro Energy. And the company's unfair labor practices have also had a deadly consequence for workers. I spoke with John Thompson, an installation helper who has been with the company for seven years. There was a guy there, listen, his name was Jack, right? He was there for over 20-something years. The guy worked at the company. He came down with cancer. They made him retire because... They don't want to pay his hospital bills. His, his chemotherapy treatment was too expensive. Oh, you believe? Can you believe that? And this guy done put in all these years working for this company, and he gets sick, and the company leaves him out to dry. And that's what they do. I mean, just, wow. I'm struggling for words to even respond to that. I mean, what a sinister act of cruelty against people who worked up until their deaths for the company. It's sick. And of course, all the workers I spoke with have families. They have loved ones. Most of them have children to care for. And they described how their families are a big reason why they're standing strong on strike. I also spoke with Asaf John, a service technician and father who has worked at the company for over 12 years. I have two kids. I want to be able to take them on vacation. He went on to describe the company's outrageous overtime policy. Now I want to be able to at least put aside some money, whatever money, you know, you have to fight when you get a little bit of overtime. You're lucky you get to keep that overtime because most of the time they'll force you to work the overtime uh, for that week. Then um, one or two days, if it's, they'll send you home at, at three o'clock. So all the overtime you put in, it's a wash that you don't get the 40 hour plus. You have to work 40 hour plus before you get the overtime. The brutality of the company's management was taken to a whole nother level when it exposed its own lies. Striking workers John Thompson and Andre Solon described this. They claim that... Um... They didn't have they didn't have no money and the company not making no money and um, that's one of the reasons why we can't get a raise and then they went out and bought another company and bought an oil company this was like the last store for us and you know we went on strike uh, yeah they bought an, uh, another company 
And uh, this would cost so much more than our annual salaries for years. And yet these things are built on our backs. Those were the voices of striking workers John Thompson and Andre Soylen at United Metro Energy in Brooklyn. I was really moved by what these workers had to say. And after speaking with them on the picket line on my commute home, I started to think a lot about Biden's first address to a joint session of Congress last week and how it relates to the struggles of these workers. And Biden made several remarks on what working class people in America have endured throughout the pandemic. Let's hear what he had to say. In fact, the pay gap between CEOs and their workers is now among the largest in history. According to one study, CEOs make 320 times what the average worker in their corporation makes. Used to be in below 100. The pandemic has only made things worse. 20 million Americans lost their job in the pandemic, working in middle-class Americans. At the same time, roughly 650 billionaires in America saw their net worth increase by more than $1 trillion in the same exact period. Let me say it again. 650 people increased their wealth by more than $1 trillion during this pandemic. And they're now worth more than $4 trillion. My fellow Americans, trickle down. Trickle down economics has never worked. And it's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out. I think uh, a lot of us already knew, already lived the fact that trickle down economics don't work, but neither here nor there. The president also spoke on his twofold legislative priority, that is the American Families Plan and the American Jobs Plan. The Families Plan would establish universal pre-K and free community college education. It would subsidize child care for working families, guarantee 12 weeks of paid family or medical leave, and create a permanent tax credit for parents. The second piece, the American Jobs Plan, would fund infrastructure improvement projects in transportation, communications, housing, and utilities. Both plans would be funded by a tax increase on corporations and the ultra-rich. The $2 trillion proposal would budget $200 billion to clean energy and transmission infrastructure. Now, there are many, many issues impacting workers that I could critique the Biden administration for not addressing adequately or for not addressing at all. But I think I'd be remiss if I acted as if these reforms wouldn't have a critically needed material impact on the lives of workers like those at United Metro Energy. A study released by Deloitte back in October found that the U.S. oil, natural gas, and chemicals industries eliminated over 107,000 jobs between March and August 2020, which was noted as the fastest rate of layoffs in the industry's history. This was, of course, in large part due to the change in demand for oil because of the pandemic. But at the same time, looking at the bigger picture, We're seeing this move away from oil and gas and other extractive forms of energy. Industry giants like Shell and BP, in addition to other major European energy companies, have committed to reaching zero emissions by 2050. So what's going to happen to workers like those at United Metro? And I couldn't help but think, 
What about the miners I spoke with on last week's episode who are still on strike at the Warrior Met Mines in Alabama? And just a few weeks ago, the president of the United Mine Workers of America announced the union's support for Biden's infrastructure plan. So as long as there is a just transition from fossil fuels to green energy. Here's the union president, Cecil Roberts. I would say to our friends in government in high places that we've just about had all we can take of layoffs and people losing their jobs in the coal fields. And it doesn't have to be that way. We're for supporting the existing jobs that we have, creating new jobs. We're for carbon capture and sequestration. We're for good health care and good pensions in these Appalachian areas. And we're for jobs, and we can have good paying jobs. He went on to describe what the United Mine Workers are putting forward in regards to Biden's plan, calling for the creation of new jobs in Appalachia through tax credits that would subsidize the making of solar panel and wind turbine components. And by funding the reclamation of abandoned mines, he went on to describe what the United Mine Workers are putting forward in regards to Biden's plan, calling for the creation of new jobs in Appalachia through tax credits that would subsidize the making of solar panel and wind turbine components. Components and by funding the reclamation of abandoned mines that pose a risk to public health. He also described how the union wants the federal government to support miners who lose their jobs through retraining and by replacing their wages, health insurance, and pensions. The significance of this should not be underestimated. We're talking about a truly progressive shift in how this facet of the energy industry would function. We're talking about saving jobs in an industry that has seen 40,000 miners laid off in the last decade and creating a more sustainable future on this planet. The possibility of these policies actually being passed is, of course, really up in the air, really up to, in some ways, how hard of a fight Democrats are willing to put forward in Congress. And... Some may say that's a very slim likelihood, but I think the fact that legislation like the American Families and American Jobs Plans is being introduced at the most upper echelon of political power in our country goes to show that our movement can and should be demanding more. Because let's be real, when upwards of 70% of Americans support a progressive policy like Medicare for All and the Democrats control the House, the Senate, the White House, I mean, there's just no more excuses for Biden and the rest of the Democrats pushing to the wayside the things that they promised on the campaign trail. We should never expect that our elected officials would do anything that benefits our class unless there's a fighting movement rooted in our communities to demand these things. Workers around the world just celebrated May Day over the weekend, and it's like, we cannot forget that workers were killed demanding just an eight-hour workday. I mean... This is what class struggle is. It has never been easy nor short of literal blood, sweat, and tears. And I say all that to say, this time presents a critical opportunity for workers in America. In a time of historic inequalities, and what I think we see in many examples as a resurgent and growing labor movement, we will only get what we're organized to take as the working class. And it's on us to build the unity and militancy that's required to win. And 
we see workers winning every day. To turn to a new page here, I'd really like to highlight three big wins that have happened in the past week alone for workers from coast to coast. This is something that in reflecting on the first few episodes of On the Picket Line in this new podcast format, I really want to give y'all listeners a positive, a revolutionary optimistic, as some may say, bit of news in every episode I put out. So first in a significant victory for retail workers, which hasn't gotten much attention at all in the mainstream press. Workers represented by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union at Macy's won a case against the retail giant, forcing the company to end its practice of using its self-checkout scan-and-pay mobile app to deny commissions to employees on in-store purchases. The union set off the legal battle, representing workers at six stores in Boston and Rhode Island after workers said they were losing pay on commission-based items purchased via the mobile scan-and-pay app. They claimed that the company violated its bargaining agreement by not including commissions on these products. Macy's will now give back pay to employees for the total sales conducted through the app. Of course, with the development of technology used in retail, there's been a lot of talk in recent years and frankly fear from workers in dealing with this shift towards automated customer service, you know, and things like self-checkout in the retail and food industries. This case may very well set a precedent in which workers can win their demands for wages lost by these technologies. And in a big win for workers across the state of New York, the HERO Act was signed into law late Wednesday night. The law would require all New York employers to implement a host of health and safety standards and adopt a prevention plan to address the spread of COVID-19 and other airborne infectious diseases in the workplace. The act also includes a provision protecting workers against retaliation for refusing to work in conditions that might put them at an unreasonable risk for airborne diseases due to conditions that are not compliant with this law. No doubt this will give a leg up to workers in essential industries like food and healthcare and holding management accountable for unsafe working conditions. And in Oregon, a college faculty strike has ended with a union victory. Faculty at the Oregon Institute of Technology have reached a tentative agreement for their first union contract. From the union statement, they were able to win a contract that addresses external and internal inequities in compensation, secures clearly defined and reasonable workloads, as well as health benefits and retirement contributions. Workers had been on strike for over a week, taking part in the first strike at a public university ever in the state of Oregon. And that's it for this episode of On the Picket Line. Make sure to follow at BT Newsroom for the latest on Twitter and Instagram and search Breakthrough News anywhere else. Check out our Patreon.